0: When a child is afraid of the dark, what lurks in the unknown can be terrifying. The monsters in the closet, the dinosaurs underneath the bed, the robbers outside the window. And as a child, you can try and work up your courage to face your fears, to get up the guts to peek into that closet, to look beneath the bed. You can tell yourself it's going to be okay. But often, internally, there's still that whisper, am I really sure? What you really need in that moment as a child is not so much to look within, but to look without, to go and to get your father, and as you grasp hold of his hand to have him walk with you, and to begin to turn on the lights and look beneath the bed and pull open the doors, and suddenly, the room is not so scary anymore. It's not that the monsters might not still be there or that the intruder outside the window may still pose a threat or a danger, but is that now you have one who's with you who is bigger and stronger than whatever obstacles you might face. Uh, It's not necessarily that uh, there might not still be problems in the house, but it's that you are now with the owner of the house, the ruler of the house. And there's a confidence that comes from being with Him and when you've got the Father's hand, there's nothing else you have to fear. We are gonna be in Malachi 3 and 4 today as we wrap up the series on Malachi. And fear is a major theme here. It's been a theme throughout Malachi uh, that we haven't necessarily looked closely at today, but it kinda comes to a head today. As Malachi makes this distinction between uh, those who do not fear the Lord And we find when you don't fear the Lord, the world can actually become a very scary place. And the contrast he makes with those who do fear the Lord. And we find that when you do fear the Lord, when you hold your Heavenly Father with reverence and you draw close to Him and you hold His hand and walk with Him in the world, that when you fear God, there's nothing else to fear. And so we're in Malachi 3. Uh, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, it would be great. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Our ushers would love to come and bring you a Bible. Uh, if you don't own one, please feel free to keep this Bible as our gift to you. And the title for the sermon this morning is, What Are You Afraid Of? Right, what are you afraid of? Because uh, we want to explore this idea that the real problem is, uh, on the one hand, fear can be an appropriate thing. When there's danger, it's good to be afraid, to be on alert. Uh, And that the real issue is not so much how to either be afraid or not be afraid, but how to fear the right things. And that health is not so much the absence of fear, but the presence of fear towards those things which are appropriate, and how that ultimately, uh, when we have a right relationship with God, how there's nothing else that we need to be afraid of or to fear. So Malachi 3... Let's start in verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Uh, the people are making an accusation against God. Um, but you say, how have we spoken against you? Well, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evil doers not only prosper, But they put God to the test, and they escape. All right, well, the first thing we see here is that uh, the people have no fear of God because they're saying God ain't home. Like they're essentially saying God's not around, God's left the building, God's not home. uh, And so now we have nothing to fear. They say it's vain to serve God. What profit or benefit is there? They say that, uh, just look around now, the arrogant are blessed evildoers prosper. People reject God, treat Him poorly, and they get away with it. We have seen these major themes in Malachi, have been themes of religious hypocrisy. The leaders of God's people are uh, getting exposed for doing just junk they shouldn't be doing. And we see uh, him talking about marriages where people are abusing and abandoning and betraying, and marriages are falling. We see injustice where the poor are being mistreated. The vulnerable are being overlooked and neglected. And so we see all these themes in Malachi's day. And fortunately, those are no longer problems today, right? (laughs) But it can be easy to look around and go, man, God ain't home. He's not here. Uh, That child that was once afraid of the dark is now in high school. And he's like, dad's gone, party time, right? Like there's a sense that when the parents are away, Uh, the kids will do things that they might never do when they think the parents are home, right? Uh, When the cat is away, the mice will play. And there is that sense here. The people are are saying that, man, God's not watching. He's not paying attention. And a good way to stop fearing God is to start pretending like he's not around. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the late Pastor Eugene Peterson uh, shares a story. He's the one famous for writing the message translation or version of the Bible. And he shares a story how when he was a young, kind of new pastor, and he had to write these monthly reports to his denomination. And so he would you know, answer all these questions every month, uh, answer all these questions about his own spiritual health, what was happening in the church, how things were going, and he would put them in the mail and send these off to New York City, right? And he began to get the impression that I don't think anyone's reading these reports, right? And so he thought, I'm going to do a little experiment. And the first month, he was kind of, you know, uh, cautious. But he put, you know, I've, I've been beginning to feel the world feels kind of dark. I've been entering depression. And I really feel like I could use some pastoral counsel and some help. I wonder if you guys could provide some resources for me. Sent it off. Never heard anything back. So he decided to get a little bolder next month. it's like, yeah, uh, I an affair that developed like I was counseling this woman through a hard marriage and we ended up in bed together. Only well, it wasn't actually bed. It was in the pew of the church and the <laughs> the woman coming in to set up flowers for Sunday caught us. And, but then we found out actually this town is full of swingers and they're all excited. So now we've got more people coming to church, you know, <laughs> didn't hear a peep, not a word. So him and his wife would start kind of brainstorming and dreaming up on these together. And so next he's like, we wanted to make worship interesting. We felt like we could use some more liveliness, so uh, we started using peyote and mushrooms and ecstasy. <laughs> it was a wild time, and now all, all these people are coming to church and, know, and never heard a thing back. And he realized, man, nobody's reading these things. Right? Like Nobody is reading these things. And uh, I think years later, they, you know, when he was transitioning out of that, they had an exit interview, and they're like, yeah, how did you feel we did supervising? And he's like, oh, well, the checks always arrived on time and whatever else, uh, but you guys never read the reports. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course we did. We, we always read the reports. We always read, right? And he's like, well, you never uh, responded when I was in severe depression, when I was having that affair, when we started doing ecstasy in church. <laughs> they all start looking and trying to pass the, pass the buck, right? Now, fortunately... Eugene Peterson didn't take advantage of the fact that they weren't paying attention. But when you think that God's not paying attention, you can begin to do a lot of things you might not otherwise do. And for some of us, I think some of you can feel like God ain't paying attention. God's not reading the reports. God's not home. And this is a common accusation, even argument that gets made against God today. You often hear it from prominent atheists going, man, if God's around, like he either ain't good enough to do something about the problems people are doing to one another or he's not strong enough to actually step in and do it. And we can feel this tension. Maybe once we were told, hey, God's watching over you, he's he's home, he's present, he's reading the reports, but then that rumor starts to spread about you, and God doesn't step in to stop it. That friend or spouse even betrays you, and God can seem distant at times. the bankers kind of walk away, they're making bank during the housing crisis and you're losing your home. And I'm like, God, where are you in the midst of the world? And it can begin to feel like God ain't home. So we got nothing to fear, just get what you can for yourself. And from one angle, uh, the people making this accusation are right. God has left the building in a certain sense. Uh, part of the understanding of the exile that happened um, years before Malachi was that the people had rebelled against God and said, we want life without you. We prefer life on our own. We'd rather rule the home by ourselves." And so God's glory had left the building, had departed the temple. And without God's protective presence at the center of the life of his people, the bullies invaded. The monsters came out of the closet. Babylon came in and went on a rampage. And there was a sense of, even still now in Malachi's day, they're living in the aftermath of this reality god lets us live without fear of him for a time and when we do the world can seem like it's starting to unravel Uh, we live in an age of anxiety today Uh, commentators observe and studies show that anxiety rates have uh, been spiking and there are a number of uh, themes around this this trend a number of uh, people trying to understand what is causing kind of the rates of anxiety that we see today. And anxiety uh, tends to be a fear about the future and change. And is it going to be okay? Often kind of spikes and sparks and induces anxiety. And three major themes that people kind of speculate as far as the rise. One would be like the rapid rate of technological change, that technology is changing so rapidly, things are changing so quickly. And there can be this sense of, will I be able to keep up? Will I have a job in the future? Will I uh, be able to keep up with all the trends and the things that are moving so quickly in our world today? Another root cause, I would say, is um, that our lives are now on public display, right? That people can kind of see everything we do. Will I look good enough on Instagram? Will I say something stupid on Twitter that could get me doxxed and pushed out of the public eye? And a third cause would be that we live at a time of intense relational instability that were once covenant community and the bonds of relationship were tighter and thicker today there's a increased fear of will my friends leave me will my spouse walk away will my kids grow up to resent and hate me and all this can lead to putting us in a performative state where we need to perform to prove that we're worthy of love, that we can keep up with what's going on, that we are worthy of not being left behind. And all of this can produce an understandable state of anxiety in general in our culture and internally within our lives today. And the question becomes how do we live in the midst of this age of anxiety? Are there resources to press into to live a life without fear? Is there an antidote? Malachi points us to this next, that ironically, the solution is not by fearing nothing, but by fearing the right thing. The solution is not the absence of fear, but the presence of a proper fear around the thing which is truly worthy to be feared. And so let's move forward in verse 16. <clears throat> it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him of who him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So <coughs> Malachi says here that God's got those who have a healthy fear of him. Uh, he highlights and repeats the theme those who feared the Lord, those who esteemed his name, and he highlights that God's got them. There is this uh, sense that there is a healthy fear of God, and God is paying attention to those who have it. The uh, sense that God's away, that God's asleep, that God's left the building, God ain't home, it's false. What Malachi points us to is that God is very much awake. God's not sleeping. He's awake, and he's actually active during this time. What is he doing? He's paying attention. He's writing down the names. He is uh, remembering those who look to him and fear him. So just because God does not intervene immediately does not mean that God is checked out. God is present with and watching over us. It's like that high school party when the parents thought we're out of town, Uh, only the parents have got video cameras in the home and they're seeing everything that's going on and they're still very much present. Uh, And God existed before video cameras, right? And God didn't so much go away on vacation as much as He's upstairs, And can hear everything that's going on downstairs. Or the reality is because God is spirit and God is holding all creation together, that there is a mysterious way that God is actually able to be mysteriously present even when he is apparently absent. God is able to be mysteriously present even when he is apparently absent. And he is active during our age of anxiety. During this time, he is present. He is watching over his children. Well, who is he paying attention to? He's paying attention to those who fear the Lord. And this theme is... Repeated And what does it mean to fear the Lord, to have a healthy fear of Him? I think we can often have a caricature of what the fear of the Lord is. Uh, for some, does this mean like I'm supposed to be scared of God, like because He's got a bad temper, He's going to fly off the handle? Uh, for some people, there may be a sense of God, sometimes he wakes up on the right side of the bed and he's happy and loving. And other times he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and he's angry and vindictive and you never know which God you're gonna get and you just gotta try and keep him happy and walk on eggshells so you hope he, he, that's not what's meant by fear of the Lord. That is a, a caricature. And so we wanna take some time to ask, what is a healthy fear of the Lord? And how do we live into it? Well, I wanna suggest two angles for what a healthy fear of the Lord is. The first is a healthy fear of God is a reverence for who God is, for the immensity of his personhood, for the infinity of God's identity. This speaks to God's identity, the immensity of who he is. I, back in high school and college, I used to love surfing. So We'd go out to the Oregon coast, it was freezing cold, but we had wetsuits, so I had a wetsuit and a board and with friends, and we would go out surfing. And one thing that struck me, I'd always looked out at the ocean and just thought, man, this is so beautiful, and it is. And yet, as you would get out and you'd be way out past the breakers, and way out in the waves, and you would begin to feel the depths, like my feet can't touch the bottom anymore, and I know it's quite a ways down. And you would begin to find like you were surrounded and you looked out and you saw this thing doesn't end. And then you get pushed under a few times and you're tumbling and having to fight your way to get back up to the surface. And you realize this thing, this ocean, it is both beautiful and yet it is, could also crush me like in a second. Like you realize the weight of the thing that you are immersed in. I had one time where uh, I got, it was a Sunday morning, went out with some friends, wasn't a Christian yet, so I wasn't in church. And uh, this meant the beaches were like empty, right? And I got sucked out. It was just me and one other person, and I got sucked out and kind of almost pushed into these rocks where the waves were just dashing against the rocks. And eventually, it, it got just pushed way out, swimming as hard as I could, and I'm going the other way out into the ocean, right? And I remember at one point uh, trying to get my way back in and going underneath, and I'm tumbling beneath the water for what seemed like an eternity and I'm trying to get air and I'm just, I feel like I'm about out of breath. I'm about to start inhaling water and I come up and another wave is you know, come right down. And so again and and coming up three times. And eventually my friend was able to get out. He was older, more experienced. He was able to shout directions and help me get back in. But I remember going, man, the ocean is beautiful and majestic. And then there's also a healthy fear, a reverence for the immensity of what this is, right. Immensity. There has been uh, one trend over the last 10 years that they've seen with the arrival of smartphones and all has been what have been called uh, just a tragedy of selfie deaths, right? So in 19, um, 19, 19 2017, <laughs> back in the 1900s, <laughs> 2017, uh, there were over 90 of these so called selfie deaths where someone is uh, taking a picture of their uh, San Diego overlooking like the cliffs by the ocean or uh, out at the Grand Canyon and distracted by their phone. Um, And uh, unfortunately, in the moment of trying to take that picture or looking at their phone while they're walking, uh, tumbling to their death. And there's this sense the tragedy is. You were attempting to capture the beauty of this thing, and yet not respecting the magnitude of this thing. And when it comes to God, this is uh, not so much about God's character, this is just about God's identity, the bigness of who God is. There is a healthy respect for the magnitude and the immensity of the creator of heaven and earth, the one from whom all things have come. And I think to have a healthy reverence for God in this sense, a healthy fear of God is that we don't treat him like a stuffed animal, right? That we kind of cuddle up with at night just to get that comfort. Like you could wake up in the middle of the night and find you've been snuggling with a lion, right? Like God is immense. And a healthy fear of him in this respect, a healthy fear of God's identity keeps you from arrogance. It helps you recognize like the world doesn't revolve around me. It actually revolves around God. And it can keep us humble by having a right evaluation of ourselves by seeing ourselves in the light of who God is. Okay, a second aspect of healthy fear. A healthy fear is also respect for what God does, his character, his holiness, his justice. So even if there were no sin in the world, we would still have that first kind of fear, right? Like just reverence for the immensity of who God is. Uh, And yet... The second kind of fear exists only because of sin, right? We could also think of this fear of God as in some ways also like a fear of sin, of seeing uh, when we contribute to things that destroy God's world, when we set ourselves in opposition to God's character and his ways, uh, that's a scary place to be. So a healthy fear, an unhealthy fear is that you're scared because you think God's a jerk. A healthy fear is you're scared because you realize you can be a jerk. Like a healthy fear is recognizing, man, there are ways that God is good and we stand opposed to the goodness of God at times and the ways that we live, the things that we think, the ways that we act and can live our lives. And a healthy fear of God leads to a healthy fear of sin, of running from those things that would distance us from God, that would set ourselves in opposition to Him. Here in Malachi, this seems to be a a main thing that that he's pointing to. Those who are arrogant and evildoers and those who set themselves against God and are running, wreaking havoc in his world, they don't have a healthy respect for God's character and seek to align their lives with it. Uh, Last night, and I was on a walk with my family and some friends, and we were walking. We, we came up to kind of a busy street, busy intersection. We were waiting for the crosswalk light, and the crosswalk light turned on, and we began to walk. And I turned and looked, and I noticed uh, one, of, one of my boys, they were on scooters, and one of them was just kind of not paying attention, you know, and, um, and when he said, okay, the, light, the light's ready, let's go, and we all started to walk, uh, he was facing the other direction and began to ride his scooter out into oncoming traffic. And I immediately, Jack, you know, I shouted his name as loud as I could and I ran over and And fortunately, he, he went out to about the part where the, you know, the bike lane ends as a car was just coming by and he stopped when he heard my voice and I came and I grabbed and I grabbed his arm and I pulled him in. And um, he wasn't trying to do something wrong or, right, you know, but he, he just, he wasn't paying attention. And he, going though in a direction that could kill him that could lead to just horror destruction and he was he didn't have a healthy fear of the road and the danger that lurked there and because he didn't i had it for him right and i i I yelled for him jake to get his attention and my goal in uh trying to raise my voice to alert him to the danger to get his attention was to raise an awareness of, I want his good, I want his flourishing, I'm trying to keep him from something that would keep him from harm, and was to try and bring him back into intimacy and closeness with me. And I hugged him, I held his hand, and we walked together on the right path. For some of us, I think we can be not paying attention, right? Like there's kind of this sense when we drift from a healthy fear of God in this respect, it's like, man, we're kind of doing things that we know, man, maybe that's not so right, and we would kind of be setting ourselves on trajectories and on a path that ultimately doing things opposed to God's ways that ultimately can lead to our destruction. And the real tragedy with sin is when we go down those roads, it usually winds up not just wreaking havoc in our lives, but in the lives of others around us. And because God loves us and loves his world, he raises his voice and says, stop, come back to me have a healthy respect for my ways. Try to walk. I want you to walk with me in my ways. I want you to draw close and be with me because I know that when you run away from me, there is danger out there that is real. The monsters, in that sense, are not imaginary. They're real. There are things that can kill us when we walk too far from the ways and the presence of God. So there is a healthy fear. And this also means that when we live opposed to God, it's a sign that we don't fear God. Think of these themes that we've seen these last weeks in Malachi. When you speak about God with your lips, but you don't live like that with your lives, as people of God, like you don't fear God, Like when you beat your wife, you don't fear God. When you neglect the poor, you don't fear God. When you overlook the vulnerable, you don't fear God. When you walk away from your spouse, you don't fear God. All these themes that we've been seeing here throughout Malachi, we could trace a lot of the problems that are going on amongst God's people in this book. We could trace a lot of the problems that are going on amongst us as God's people today, in America, in the world. A lot of the problems can come back to you. when we don't fear God. We don't have a healthy reverence for the immensity of who God is. And we don't have a healthy respect for the character of his ways. The beauty of the gospel is that God invites us back into intimacy with him, to take hold of our hand and walk with us into the world again. So if a healthy fear of God in the first Sense keeps us from arrogance. A healthy fear of God in the second sense ke- can keep us from sin. It can keep us kind of paying attention and watching our lives because we want to walk closely with our Father. And the goal of both is intimacy with God. Okay, well let's keep going and see how Malachi ends it here. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, For behold, The day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Well, here, uh, Malachi speaks to those who have no fear. Right? And I kind of mean this in two respects, right? Malachi speaks to those who have no fear. Uh, first off, there are those who have no fear of God. And Malachi's message to them is, you should be very afraid. Right? There are uh, scary things coming for you if you don't live in fear of God. And the other side of this his message is messages, uh, there are those who do fear God. his message to them is you have nothing to fear. God is with you. God is for you. Salvation is coming. Um, I love some of the imagery he uses here. So it says that uh, the sun of righteousness on the day of the Lord, the sun of righteousness is rising with healing in its wings. And here, the sense is the image is like the breaking of dawn, like when it's been nighttime uh, it's always darkest before the dawn you know it, it hits that, that that darkest moment and then as the sunlight breaks it brings light and warmth and healing i love uh this image he has of the, the you will leap like calves from the stalls you should go out leaping like calves from the stall and scholars would say that um likely the image here is that the calves were inside the stall inside the barn preparing to be slaughtered right and so they were They were, if you can imagine, being that young calf, and you're inside the dark, and you're in this room, and you are, you know, crammed up with others who are with you, and maybe there's a sense of fear of what's coming, and it's dark outside, and it's dark inside, and uh, you know, maybe the sense that like, man, the fate that is hanging over our heads, and then the door creak creaks open, and the light breaks in and the gate is released, and you're free to go and run in the fields. The picture here is that for those who walk with reverence before God and walk in His ways and hold in right esteem, even though it feels like the world is going chaos around us, even though it can feel like maybe you feel like you're trapped in that dark room right now, and you're worried about the fate appears to be hanging over your head. guy's message is, when you fear God, you've got nothing else to fear. Salvation is coming. The light is going to break over the hills, like the door is going to creak open, and God is going to set his people free. Now, it's interesting to me, too, that The light of God's presence is salvation for some, it's salvation for his people and judgment for others, but it's the same person, same character, same presence, different outcome. And I think there is hope here that we are saved by grace alone, and yet grace is, uh, its goal is to bring us back into union with God. And the goal is that we would align our lives with his character and his presence and his ways. And this should raise the question for us of, what are you afraid of, right? Like, what are you afraid of? I think for some of us, uh, we may have an unhealthy fear of God. And we may be afraid of God in an unhealthy way because we've had this caricature that he's unreliable, that he flies off the handle, that he, uh, you know, like we, we just, we have this unhealthy fear of him. And I believe that the invitation this morning is to move from an unhealthy fear to a healthy fear. The gospel proclaims the constancy of God's character. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't fly off the handle, but when he's angry, it's not because he stopped being in loving. It's because he loves the world that he gets angry at the things that tear it apart. It's because he wants union with us that he gets angry at the sin that seeks to distance us from him. The invitation for some of us this morning may be to move from an unhealthy caricature of God to a healthy fear of God that trusts in his goodness, the trust in who he is. Uh, for other us, however, we may be living with no fear of God, right? We may be living in a spot where, yeah, I go to church, yeah, I do the stuff, but God ain't listening. God ain't reading the reports. God ain't home, right? And we begin to live in such a way that, that over time our lives become aligned against him. I believe the invitation, if that's you, is to move back to a healthy respect for God's character. So those of us with an unhealthy fear may need to come to a place of trusting in the goodness of who God is. And those of us who are living with no fear of God may come to respecting and holding with reverence the immensity of who God is and posturing ourselves in right relationship to Him. Yet the beauty of Malachi's message is that when we get things in right order when we fear God, that there's nothing else to be afraid of. There's nothing else that ultimately can stand against us. Um, The reality is that uh, you and I, we fear all sorts of things. Uh, We fear our reputation. What are others gonna think of me? We fear our safety. What might others do to me? We can fear our uh, security. Will there be enough when I get older? And these fears can lead us to postures where we try to perform, to get people to like us, to, uh, we try and get protect to make sure that no one will be able to hurt us or to harm us, make ourselves invulnerable. And ultimately, these unhealthy fears, these, these fears can cage us in where we're no longer able to love. It's hard to love people when you're performing for them. It's hard to love people when you're protecting. And part of the power of learning to fear God rightly is it frees us to love because we no longer need to be afraid of those things that formerly held us captive. And Now, hear me right. I'm not saying that if you uh, struggle with anxiety or depression that it's just because it's a lack of faith or a lack, you know. No, there is reality that we can seek all sorts of help with uh, medical professionals, with uh, with counseling, with with. want to take advantage of all those resources, and so the goal is not saying, hey, if you just have enough faith, everything's going to go away, but it is saying that when the world seems scary, when those monsters be hiding behind the closet doors are all too real, they're no longer imaginary, but real, and the threats that are coming at you feel too daunting, the question is, where do we go to? What do we turn to when we feel afraid? Malachi's invitation is that we can go to our Heavenly Father, that we can hold him in right reverence, we can draw close to him in intimacy, that we can take hold of his hand, that we can open ours as he takes hold of our hand, and he can walk with us into those places that currently leave us frightened and terrified. I think the invitation this morning is to face your fears the question that I would have for you and uh, to reflect on this morning is what is it that you're afraid of? Maybe it is like your reputation and even living for others. Maybe it's a fear of being wounded and you made yourself invulnerable so no one can get too close. Maybe, I know for me, man, I, when I think of it's a fear for my kids, I'm kind of going, God, can I trust you with their future? Can I trust you Someday when I'm gone, like, what is it that you're afraid of? I well, The invitation is for us to bring those before Christ this morning, to place them before him, to have a right and healthy reverence for who God is, and to let him take hold of our hand and walk us into those places of our lives, to let him maybe not fix everything right away, but to bring the immensity of his presence and the confidence of his character places. So as we we come to the table this morning, as we come to Christ's body broken and his blood shed, we come to Christ who held the Father in perfect reverence, who experienced the anxiety and trembling of the garden of Gethsemane to the point that he sweat blood and yet said, God, not my will, but yours be done. From another angle, we find that the Father has come for us in Christ to take hold of our hands by His Spirit and to walk us into the darkest corners of our lives and to bring His presence there. And so, as we come to the table this morning, uh, the invitation is to come and let Christ, who has given Himself for us as His people, let Him take hold of your hand and bring Him your fears. And not only bring him your fears, but bring him into your fears. My prayer for us this morning is that as we receive the elements, the, the wine or juice and the bread, uh, but as we come to Christ and we bring him our fears and we receive his presence, that we would let him vulnerably into the places of our lives we're afraid. And let him walk into those places with us. Um, we are, uh, just to... Recap, kind of, as we come to communion. Uh, as we've been doing things uh, a little differently this last month, um, just a reminder that we don't have to all come at once, and so feel free to take your time. As some people are coming forward, if it's looking like lines are starting to build, you can hold up We'll have three, three, three songs as we sing together and worship. Uh, also, that when you come, don't uh, don't drink the wine. Dip, you know, dip, don't drink. Right, dip, don't drink. Um, But the invitation is to come to Christ, to bring him your fears, and to bring him into your fears. Let the Father take hold of your hand through his Son, and walk with you by his Spirit in the darkest corners. Because the reality is, when you hold God in right reverence, you've got nothing else to fear. Please join me in prayer.